So, um, just while we're, we're settling down, um, if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be great to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, and for those of you who do, my name is Simon, and uh, I'm, one, <laughs> I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, part of the preaching team, and it's uh, my privilege to be able to speak to you this morning, and uh, I'm very, very excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so one of the great themes of scripture, and uh, it's part of our series on multiplying disciples, and we're going to look today at the theme of all the nations, and uh, it always astounds me the way God will emphasize a theme to us as a gathered people, um, and how people have heard from God in all sorts of different ways and different contexts, and then we come together as his people on a Sunday morning, and God speaks to us time and again about the same sorts of things. And so we've heard already about the nations, and we're going to hear a lot more about it now. So I'm going to uh, read the end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through to 20, to get us started. But the 11 disciples, because remember there were 12, and Judas decided to kill himself after uh, effectively killing Jesus. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. I love that. This is the 11 disciples. They've hung out with Jesus for three years. They've seen him crucified, raised from the dead. He gathers them together. They worship him and some of them doubt. He's about to give them what we call the Great Commission and some of them doubt him. There's hope for us all. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In 1787, a young Baptist pastor spoke to a group of Baptist leaders about the need for overseas mission. And he had been told, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. There's a picture of him here. He's a bit of a looker. Five years later, in 1792, this same man who was called William Carey published a short book with the following snappy title, which will also appear on the screen. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens in which the religious state of the different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings and the practicability of future undertakings are considered. (laughs) The title is nearly as long as the book. The book is about 87 pages long and it's well worth a read. 
In it, he outlines the case for the evangelization of the world. Carey went on to found what we now know as the Baptist Missionary Society. And he himself became a missionary to India for over 30 years. And he's known as the father of modern Protestant mission. He was told, sit down. You're an enthusiast. God doesn't need you. This morning, I want us to be caught up with a bit of God's vision. My prayer is that this morning we catch something afresh of the heart of God for the nations. And for most of the time that I'm going to be speaking to you this morning, we're going to see how all the nations of the world is a thread which runs right through scripture. When you look for it, you can't escape it. And so we're going to spend some time exploring. And we're going to think about the fact that God has consistently arranged for the nations to be brought into relationship with him. It's magnificent. And we're going to ask then, what are the implications for us? Because if we don't ask that, then we're just accumulating a bit of head knowledge. So I'm going to read a psalm, and then I'm going to pray for us. Psalm 67. And you might want to keep your finger in Matthew 28 and in Psalm 67, because we'll keep going back to these. Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Father, we love to gather and worship you. We love to sing your praises. We love to sing Again and again and again that our God saves. We love to sing of your greatness. We love to sing of your majesty. We love to see of your, sing of your character. We love to sing of your love poured out towards us. And we love to sit at the feet of your word. We love to explore the truths of scripture. And so would you help us this morning? Help me as I speak. Help us as we listen. Would you stir our hearts again afresh with the heart that you have for the nations? And may we go from here transformed people because we have sat 
in your presence. Amen. So I want to tell you a story. And uh, the story is called this. The throbbing heartbeat of God. All the nations blessed. The early chapters of the Bible describe creation. They describe how man totally messed it up. We call it the fall. And then we read of how people spread out across the face of the earth. And in Genesis chapter 11, we have the strange story of the Tower of Babel. Where the people gather together and decide to build a tower that reaches to heaven. Illustrating the pride of mankind. And the result is that at that point, God creates confusion amongst their language. And they scatter across the face of the earth, further than they've scattered before. That's Genesis 11. doesn't take us long to mess up God's plans. But then in the very next chapter, Genesis 12, we read this. God's big promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's great promise is that he's going to bless all the nations of the earth. He has just judged all the nations of the earth because they stood against him. And his next words are, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth. I don't know about you, but I like that. I like the fact that God restores things, puts things back together. And the way he's going to do this is he's going to bless one man, Abraham, who becomes known as Abraham later on, so that he will be a blessing. And so right here, right at the start of scripture, we have two key principles that God is going to operate by for the rest of history. The first one is God blesses so that they can bless. That's the first thing. God blesses so they can bless. And the second thing is that the focal point of his blessing is the nations, the families of the earth. It's God's big promise. Theologians usually call it a covenant, but it's essentially a promise, an agreement. God has spoken, it will come to pass. I will bless you, so you will bless everyone else. And that promise to Abraham, though, in Genesis chapter 12, isn't just a flash in the pan idea for God. He repeats it time and time and time again. So in Genesis 18, just as Isaac's about to be born and God's going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, you will be a blessing to the nations. In Genesis 22, just after Abraham has been prepared to sacrifice the son of promise, Isaac, God says, remember, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. In Genesis 26, when he's making promises to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then in Genesis 28, when he's making promises to Isaac's son, Jacob, he says, 
your descendants will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Abraham, Abraham's son, Abraham's grandson, generation after generation, person after person is told that they will have descendants who will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. God has put his promise on repeat. When God speaks, it's going to happen. When he speaks twice, we must sit up and notice. That's what happens. Pharaoh's dreams, same thing twice. Whoa, what's going on? When he says it five, six times, there's no escape. God has put his promise on repeat. And then as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, examples begin to emerge. Examples of these principles which have been laid out. I will bless you so you will be a blessing to the nations. So turn to the person next to you and see if you can think of an example of where someone in the Old Testament was a blessing to the nations or someone from another nation. Okay, so um, I'm not going to take answers, but I'm going to mention a few examples. And this is a great, you know how coffee conversation can be a bit awkward if you're like me, don't know what to say to people. Um, Talk about these Bible stories. Why are you laughing? Have a proper conversation. Okay, so... (laughs) that's true so a few examples Joseph Joseph in Potiphar's house listen to how the author of Genesis which is Moses writes this story so Joseph is sold as a slave taken down to Egypt and he's put in Potiphar's house it came about that from that time Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Notice how he doesn't call him Potiphar, he calls him the Egyptian. Note, someone from another nation. On account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that Potiphar owned in the house and in the field. He just love that. He buys a slave It happens that the slave is one of God's people who brings a blessing with him, who then blesses the whole household of this foreigner. That's what God means when he says, I will bless you to bless the nations. We know, of course, that Joseph goes on to uh, become the second in command of the whole of Egypt. And uh, during that phase of the story, when all the land of Egypt was famished, famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And he says, go to Joseph and whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over the whole face of the earth, then Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Then the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. 
Whoa. So this man is taken down to Egypt. He blesses one Egyptian household. And then that's a training ground for blessing all the nations of the world. God's promise in action. Uh, Another example would be the Queen of Sheba. So Solomon's wealth and wisdom is renowned throughout the world. And the Queen of Sheba comes to investigate. And this is what her conclusion is after sitting and having a coffee with Solomon. How blessed are your men? How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom? She, she basically just before that says, I, I hadn't even heard the half of it, what was reported. And then she says, blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king. So this woman from another nation, comes, sees the blessing that God has blessed Solomon with, and she ends up blessing God. Wow. Or Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. I don't know whether you got that one. But she was about to cook her final meal with her son. And Elijah comes along and says, God's going to Make your flour and oil not run out. And she survives the famine. She wasn't part of Israel. She lived in Sidon. Blessing the nations. Or Elisha and Naaman. Naaman, the commander of the army of Aram, who was a leper. And he comes and he gets blessed by Elisha. And he gets healed of his leprosy. Or Jonah and Nineveh. There's a yes there. Someone someone had Jonah in that conversation. Yeah. Go and preach the gospel. No, I'm not going. Oh, yes, you are. And what happens? The whole city turns to God. How much of a blessing is that? You see, whenever God's people interact with, no, sorry, whoever God's people interact with, and wherever they go, People get blessed. That's what happens. Sometimes it's individuals. Sometimes it's a group of people. Sometimes it's a whole nation. Sometimes it's all the nations of the world. But wherever God's people are, people get blessed. Why? Because we carry the blessing of God. So as we read through the narrative of the Old Testament, look out for it. Look out for the thread. God's promise in action. Now then we come to the Psalms and the Prophets. And there's the promise there as well. So we read Psalm 67. Just going to go back to it because the start is this. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That's a quote from the high priestly prayer from Numbers, which the high priest prayed over whom? Over the nation of Israel. That is Israel's blessing. And yet the psalm goes on to say, Be gracious to us and bless us. Why? So that we know that your face shines on us so we can bless the nations of the earth. You see the effect as it spreads. And then the prophets. I mean, they're just absolutely littered with examples of of the nations being blessed by God. I'm only going to choose Isaiah, but we could look at many of them. I'm not going to read the whole of Isaiah. Um, 
And uh, Isaiah 2, though, says, Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. And what happens? All the nations will stream to it. You see the promise? Establish the house of the Lord, the nations stream to it. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what happens? Nations will decide to come to the root of Jesse. That's a picture of Jesus. Or Isaiah chapter 19. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians will come into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts had blessed, saying, blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel with my inheritance." Chapter 45, the ends of the earth will turn and be saved. Chapter 55, a nation will run to you when it hears of God. Chapter 56, foreigners will be joyful in your house of prayer and God's house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Chapter 60, nations will come to your light. Chapter 49 and verse 6, if you were listening to Richard earlier, you'll have heard this. He says, "Is it is too small a thing. That you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Whenever the Israelites praise and whenever God speaks to them in prophecy, the nations runs through. Why? Because that's God's big promise. And he's put it on repeat. And so when you've read through all of that, you'll then come to the New Testament. And look at how the New Testament begins with the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel written primarily to Jews. Matthew 1.1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Just establishing Jesus' credentials as being a Jew. In the line of David, that great king. In the line of Abraham, the founder of the nation. There's no doubt who this Jesus is. And then Matthew goes on to list the descendants From Abraham all the way down to Jesus. Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, etc. And Matthew, shock, horror, throws into this list the names of some women. Yeah, you don't do that. You don't do that if you're establishing a Jewish history. And think about it, he could have chosen any number of women, because for every man there who produced a son, I'm assuming a woman was involved. (laughs) Arguably with the exception of Joseph and Mary at the end, but Mary was involved. 
When I say arguably, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Need to get that theology sorted for Christmas. But the other women, Rahab was from Canaan. Ruth was from Moab. Highly likely that Tamar was a Gentile. And Bathsheba, well, she was married to a Gentile, Uriah the Hittite, before she got into the royal family. So on the first page of the New Testament, we cannot escape God's emphasis on the nations. Even in a Jewish genealogy, it's there. God's throbbing heart for the nations is there for all to see. And as we see Jesus kick into action with his earthly ministry, we see him interacting with the likes of a Samaritan woman, a Syrophoenician woman, a Roman centurion, healing a Samaritan leper. And so when we get to the end of Matthew, it's no surprise that Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Because that's what he has been heading towards for all this time. He launches them into their worldwide ministry. And the promise from there ripples outwards. So if we look at the start of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples again. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem where they currently were, and in Judea, the country in which they lived, and Samaria, that annoying nation just to the north, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That's what Jesus left them with. And a while later, Pentecost happens. That great reversal of that Tower of Babel, where confusion was brought into language and the nations got scattered and then needed to be blessed. Well, God at Pentecost pours out his Holy Spirit so that people from all sorts of nations, all kinds of people groups, can understand and respond to the gospel when Peter preaches it and 3,000 were added that day. That is a blessing to the nations. And the rest of the New Testament really is the New Testament writers laying out the implications of Jesus coming to earth, living amongst us, dying an horrific death, rising from the dead, and then ascending into heaven. And the rest of Acts details how the gospel spreads, and then the letters explain what this means to us. But you see, a shift has happened. The Old Testament model is that nations would come and see the blessing of God. Think Queen of Sheba. Think all those Isaiah prophecies where the nations stream and see and then are blessed. But what Jesus is kicking off here is a new sort of model, which is instead of a come and see, it's a go and tell. Go into all the world. Start here and ripple outwards. Because God's people is now no longer defined by geographical boundaries. It's no longer defined as a particular ethnic grouping. It's defined by the likes of us. 
But the church is commissioned to go and tell the gospel. So what's the gospel? Well, this is how Paul sums it up in Galatians chapter 3. Verses 6 to 9. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. (coughs) Hang on, we just need to pause there. When Paul writes about the scripture, he means the Old Testament. So he's basically saying the Old Testament foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's how important it is that it's clearly there in Scripture. Preached the gospel. So God is now preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. What Paul is saying is that the gospel that you now carry is this. All nations will be blessed. I wonder if we think of the gospel like that. But that kind of sums it up. So we've got nothing to bless people with outside of the cross, the resurrection, the life there is in him. And so the promise ripples outwards and it keeps on going and it keeps on going. And if you continue to read through your Bible, you will get to the book of Revelation at the end. That fabulous book which blows my mind, as does most of the rest of the Bible. But in there it talks about the lamb being slain and purchasing with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It talks about, on the very final pages, the river in heaven with the tree of life on either side bearing fruit. And what, what are the leaves of the tree for? The healing Of the nations. And I want to read you a bit of Revelation 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the culmination of all things. This is the pinnacle. This is the plan fulfilled. This is the gospel achieved. This is the heart of God satisfied as people from every tribe, tongue, race, nation, people group gather round the throne to worship for eternity. That's where it's heading to. That's the promise. That is God's big promise. And it's going to happen. So what does it mean for us then? What does it mean for us to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations? Well, I think firstly, we have to believe that the Great Commission applies to us. I know we say it, 
we actually believe that it really, really implies, applies to us. That it's an imperative for us. Remember William Carey? His arguments from 1792 are still valid. He estimated that the population of the world was about 731 million at that point in his pamphlet. It's now about 10 times that. Not convinced that the proportion of the world who knows about Jesus has substantially increased since that time, actually. Still about a third. Francis Chan says, a church that does not care about reaching the nations is not a church in the New Testament sense. Ooh, ouch. A church that does not care about reaching the nations is not a church in the New Testament sense. Kerry was told to sit down. Kerry said, no, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to go. (laughs) And the same applies to us. But we need to be clear on what all the nations actually means. Because I've used this phrase now, I don't know how many times in the last half an hour. And what it doesn't mean is nations in the sense that we often refer to nations as in a a geographical, you know, lines on a map and we colour in the middle. And we can colour the whole world so no no four colours, you know, overlap and other nice problems. It does mean that, but it means so much more than that. One commentator describes a nation as a group of people linked by common history, culture or community allegiance. I live in Shirley. When I ask people where they live and they're from my area, that's how long I've lived there now, I can say my area. They say I'm from Shirley. Oh, not Solihull. Shirley. Birmingham. Um, but there's a there's a community allegiance and when you get a group of people together who share something in common that's a, a uniting thing and this definition would argue there are people group that need to be reached That picture in Revelation, I believe, must consist of the widest possible multitude. People drawn from every nation on earth, every tribe, every linguistic group, every clan, every ethnic grouping, every socioeconomic class. And so our thinking maybe needs to change when we think nations. But there's still this imperative for us to go. So I'm going to try and be quite practical to finish and give us three things that we can do in order to go. Actually, go is one of them, so that spoiled the last one. (laughs) Anyway, two things plus go. (laughs) So the first is we can pray. Pray that God would catch you up with something of his mission. 
something of his vast plans for all the nations. Pray that he would change your heart and mind. This is the time of year where some people like to think about, well, how am I going to read the Bible next year? And, you know, that kind of whole New Year's resolution, Bible reading plan and so on. Can I encourage you to read the Bible with the glasses of where can I see the nations in this? Because you'll start to spot it all over the place. It's God's big promise. Pray that he change your heart and your mind. At a time in our nation where there's an increasing fear of others, when our nation is making the decision to withdraw from a partnership with other nations, when the open access that we've enjoyed for generations to go across borders, plant churches in other nations freely, when things might be changing on that front, we need to pray that our hearts are not full of fear, that we don't caught up in the isolationism, but instead that our heart beats with the same compassion for the nations that God feels. God loves the nations and wants them to be blessed. We should want the same. So I'd encourage you to pray for yourself. I'd encourage you to pray for mission. I imagine that many of us in the room this week prayed at some point this week for Rob as he went to Russia. He's hopefully catching a plane later today to come back. (laughs) If you did, then you were involved in God's plan for the nations this very week. In your bedroom, when you prayed, as you drove along, as you prayed. Yeah, you didn't go there. Yeah, you didn't see some of the amazing things which we're going to hear about from Rob next week when he reports back. But you were still involved in the plan. Not everyone is sent to a different place. We must never use that as an excuse, though. Because we are all called to be involved. And one way we can be involved is we can pray. So that's the first thing is pray. The second thing is look. (laughs) Look around at where God's placed you. Look at where you live. We live in an incredible part of the world. It's very, very different from where I was brought up, southwest Wales, where I was the ethnic minority. Because I was only half Welsh. Therefore, reject it. No. (laughs) Another story. But we live in such a diverse place. Have you noticed the nations, the people groups, the tribes, the clans that are all around you? Think about what your street is like. Think about what your school gate is like. Who's your hairdresser? Very good one. Thank you. (laughs) Who are your work colleagues? It's a privilege to live in such a diverse part of the nation. And if you don't know what I mean, then this week, catch a train into Birmingham and just listen. Listen to the conversation. Listen to the phrases. Listen to the languages. Listen to the dialects that you will hear. 
If you still don't think you live in the midst of nations, then go and get your ears checked. (laughs) I visited a school this week, about six miles from where I live, to observe a teacher teach an A-level maths lesson, which is my job, which is amazing. There were 13 people in the room, 11 students, the teacher and me. There was one white British person in the room. That was me. That's for the benefit of the tape. Such variety. I got to spend the morning rubbing shoulders with all sorts of different nations in that broad sense of nations. Yeah, every person in that room was British. But culturally, ethnically, so diverse. Six miles from where I live. Look at where you live. Look at what you do. How do you spend your day? For a number of years, I was a secondary school maths teacher in Coventry. My first job was in a Roman Catholic school. And um, back in 2000, which is when I started teaching, the largest ethnic minority in Coventry was Irish Catholics. About 20% of the population has changed now. 20% of Coventry was Irish Catholic. Three out of 15 secondary schools were Roman Catholic secondary schools. As a teacher, I was expected to pray with my students. I was expected to lead devotions. I was expected to organise and deliver assemblies that were in line with Catholic teaching, which I took to mean the Bible. (laughs) I was head of year for a while, And my assemblies usually consisted of some kind of gospel presentation. We had a number of families at that time moving into the area who were from Poland and linked with us because of the Catholic connection. So there I was, a young man, very young man, teaching maths in Coventry, discipling the nations. That's the kind of thing God does. So look at what you do. Look at how you spend your day. For many of us, it will be our work. But it could be our study. It could be our families. It could be that we've got appointments with various people. It could be that you've got someone to come in and fit a kitchen this week. Look around. You'll be surprised at what God shows you. And the third thing, as you already know, is go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. How do we make disciples? I'll tell you how we make disciples. We need to know God's blessing. That's it. We need to know God's blessing, because when we know God's blessing, then we share it with others. When we know God's blessing, it influences us, and we carry it out with us. I've been trying to be quite deliberate in the last few months. (coughs) about the language I've been using when I give teachers who I work with feedback after their lessons that I observe. And a few weeks ago, after working with a teacher, I got this email. Thank you for this, (laughs) the report and so on. I really enjoyed having you visit. I was sharing with my family how amazing an experience it was to be able to Just talk mathematics. Awesome. 
in a, in a non-threatening, nothing to lose, everything to gain type of arrangement and with someone who is a subject specialist. That's me. It thoroughly made my day. I'm not making this up. This is genuine, genuine. It thoroughly made my day, and this is what I want you to hear, and gave me some much-needed hope at this time. Thank you so much. I would love that to be the impact of every conversation I have, whether it's about mathematics or not. The fact that this teacher happened to be from a different nation of the world underscores this point, that it's the nations. But I find it humbling that God would choose to use my everyday to bring a blessing to someone who needed hope. That could be you this week. You don't have to talk about maths. That's not in the Great Commission. (laughs) You just have to know the blessing that God has put in you. Because that's what you carry. Pray, look and go. Make disciples of nations by blessing them with the blessing you've been given. Can we stand please? I'd like you to think about your week ahead. That may be very clear. You may know the exact sorts of people that you're going to be interacting with. It may not be clear. In which case, use it as a chance to dream what it might be like. And think about where are there people from different nations, from different groupings, from different ethnicities, who use a different language, who have different cultural emphases from me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us that we go and bless them this week. So bring them to mind now. Offer your week to God. And I'm going to pray. Father God, we have seen how your heart for the nations beats throughout the whole of Scripture and how one day it will culminate in a vast multitude drawn from every conceivable people grouping that there possibly can can be throughout the whole of history. And we say, God, we want this week to see your kingdom advance through us as we go. Change our hearts, change our eyes to see the opportunities you lay in front of us. And Father, may we know your blessing. May we be so aware of all that you have done for us that it would be impossible to contain. That the conversations each of us has with whoever we have them with would be conversations which bring about blessing. Whether it be restoration of hope, whether it be encouragement, whether it be comfort, whether it be that we point them to you, whether it be that we talk about why Christmas is going to be so amazing because you came. Whatever it is, 
would you guide us this week and would you bless the nations through us as we go and make disciples of those we encounter. Amen.